is Bloomberg Surveillance. One of the reasons for wanting to adjust policy rates higher is that if we do run into trouble, there's room to ease. I think it's clear that we should be expecting further easing from the European Central Bank, and we should probably be expecting further easing from the Bank of Japan. One of the concerns expressed for markets is a lack of global growth, and it really is showing up now in output. Bloomberg Surveillance, your link to the world of economics, finance, and investment on Bloomberg Radio. Good morning, everyone. Michael McKee and Tom Keen, Bloomberg Surveillance. Thank you for being with us worldwide, particularly on the continent of Europe, where the European banking challenges continue. Deutsche Bank not through recent lows. Unicredit getting very near there right now. Unicredit of Italy, and you see it across all the markets. We'll do extra data checks for you for the next two hours. Futures negative 35, Dow futures negative 299. Just seconds ago, as you heard John Riding speaking in our intro, the 10-year yield broke down again to four digits, 1.5387. That is 13 basis points. We try to be jargon-free. 0.13 of a percent lower. I'll get a chart up that shows a percent change on price there as well. It's a Gary Schilling kind of morning. No question about that. West Texas 2642. Bloomberg Surveillance this morning brought to you by Cone Resnick Accounting Tax Advisory during times of growth, crisis, or economic uncertainty. Your business needs the Cone Resnick Advisory Group for the strategies to move forward. Find out more at Cone Resnick.com. Michael McKee, what is your observation this morning? Well, I'm just looking at that 10-year yield. you got to go back to August of 2012 to see a yield like that. Uh, it is um, fears in the saddle and rides mankind here, but I, I go back to... No, it's um, poetic. Is that Shakespeare to, to, he just quoted? Uh, <laughs> why you, why you, you took Shakespeare, didn't you? I think it was Shakespeare. It was either Shakespeare or Peyton Manning, one of the two. One of the two. Um, you go back to uh, to, to what um, Bob Sinch sent us this morning about oil prices, yeah. and he's wondering if capitulation is on the horizon here. And I wonder if that is true in uh, correlated asset classes. Yeah, I, I'll, I'll go with that. I'm doing a six-day chart of Unicredit right now. It is not broken down towards the lows of a few days ago. Deutsche Bank is now taking a new leg down. I want to be clear. This is the European quote, 13.22. And the euros. low is 13.03 euros. There's two quotes. It's confusing. I like to use the deeper market when it's open, which is the euro market, uh, which is 13.22. And all you need to know, I'll put the chart out on Bloomberg Radio Plus. Can we walk through that, Mike? Do we have time to do that? Sure. Bloomberg Radio Plus is an app. The only one more skeptical about it than Michael McKee was me. We're like, yeah, 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 do an app, digital, who cares? The second day it came out, I got a lovely email from a guy stuck in traffic between Abu Dhabi and Dubai listening to Mike and me crystal clear on Bloomberg Radio. That's what Bloomberg Radio Plus does for you anywhere, anywhere worldwide. We've been stunned at the response to it, and even better, we can put charts out that you could see on Bloomberg Radio Plus. Did I explain it okay, Mike? I think you did a very good job. Thank you. You have a whole new future ahead of you. As yeah. App salesman will put you into the uh, iTunes store. Uh, we got to find out what is happening in the markets, and there is only one place to go, the historical font of wisdom about all things equities, and that is S&P's Sam Stovall. He, uh, of course, um, the wonderful work his father did, raised 
uh, on ticker tape. Do you know that the Stovall desk is in the Smithsonian, the one that his father <laughs> used to get under? <laughs> well, it, it, it's unfortunate because Sam would be under it now. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I'm I sort of temp, just tempted to ask you, uh, have you seen something like this before where there is global correlation among asset classes all going down and there doesn't seem to be a particular reason? Well, good morning, Michael, and thanks for painting the picture of me hiding under a desk. Uh, uh, it would have to be a very large desk. Um, actually, you bring up a very interesting point. Uh, a lot of people think that you don't have correlations going to one, but indeed, uh, whenever we have seen market declines, whether they are severe corrections or bear markets, um, actually, almost all asset classes exhibit the glide path of a crowbar, and this is when you are reminded that even in the prospect of the Fed raising interest rates, you want to maintain exposure to fixed income because it is the intermediate-term investment-grade bonds that actually have the negative correlation with equities. And in every bear market, going back to the mid-1970s, the Barclays Ag has posted a positive return during bear markets, whereas equities, commodities, REITs, gold, et cetera, have not been able to have that kind of a track record. Well, and if you bought bonds yesterday, you're making money today. Absolutely, and I think that's what's causing uh, the yield curve to flatten, which are now causing a lot of investors to worry that we are headed for recession because of that yield curve. Quite frankly, we don't need to have a flat to inverted yield curve to trip into a, bank, a, a bear market. That's uh, interesting, interesting. Yeah, we had yield curves that were steeper than 100 basis points in 1946, 48, 61, and 87, yet we fell into bear markets because of the yeah. worries associated with them. Mike, I just want to point out, I just put out on Twitter the following. Sam Stovall, full colon, the glide path of a crowbar. <laughs> well, there's your market analysis. That's all the market analysis you need today. It feels like it's getting, you're getting hit over the head by a crowbar today, Sam. Yes, uh, you do, but um, one thing that uh, is not encouraging at this point is I like to look at a rolling average of intraday volatility, and usually we see peaks in extremes in volatility. That is a good indication that the end is near. What I mean by that is that the the end of the decline is near, um, and we've had such peaks uh, in the 87 crash. We had peaks in 1998 during the Russian default crisis, um, close to the bottom in 2002, etc., and we're really not at that level yet. So I would tend to say that, um, yes, there's fear in the market, but there's not enough to tell me that we are very close well, to turning around. I'm so glad you went to that. One of the, you know, again, folks, I say you look at the Bloomberg screen. I'm going to take a photo of my Launchpad screen um, sometime and get it here out on Twitter and Facebook and all that. But, Sam, Again, it's what's not moving that's important. The VIX isn't where it's supposed to be, given the sweat. Why is that? Um, I think because, you, first off, you have an awful lot of people who were bearish to begin with and who are on the sidelines. So I don't really think that there's an awful lot of selling that's happening. I think there's just an absence of buyers, uh, that, that the people who have been worried for quite some time, let's face it, we've, we hit a peak back on uh, May 21st of 2015. We are closing in on the nine-month anniversary of that peak, and surprisingly enough, uh, on average, 
bear market since World War II have required nine months before tripping below that 20% decline threshold. Is, is this a sign that there are people who aren't buying, or is it machines? Um, that I don't I will not be able to answer that. <laughs> because some people did are saying you know, his voice clicked into robot he, voice yes, there. He did that very well. Um, <laughs> I mean, there's a lot of people saying this is algorithmic trading here. Uh, well, that's certainly a possibility because a lot of the uh, the trades that I've been seeing are related to support and resistance technical lines. Uh, you're looking at the 1820 level on a closing basis, 1812 on an intraday basis. That's those are very important support levels. And should we breach those, basically there's not much support underneath, which would then imply that we're headed toward the 1700 or even the the mid 1600 level on the S&P 500. How do earnings and revenue dynamics correlate with the fear that's out there? Are they part of our analysis, or is this separate stuff? No, it's not separate stuff. It's part of the analysis. It's part of the concern uh, that we keep thinking that we're going to be experiencing a V-shaped recovery in earnings on a quarterly basis with the fourth quarter of 2015, the lowest at about 6% decline, and then moving up as energy is uh, having easier comparisons. But what we're finding, though, is that energy continues to have negative expectations down more than 70% in earnings this quarter, and then first quarter of 2016 expected to be similar. Uh, so now only the fourth quarter for 2016 right. is expected to be positive for energy. 20 seconds here, Sam, and we'll come back. To be clear, you don't see the catharsis that allows you to develop a bottom framework. That's correct, that I typically look to extreme levels of volatility to say that a, a bottom is near. Um, but I do, but sometimes we don't get okay. those. We didn't get it in 2010. This is what we try to do, folks, bring you guests with a little bit of history around their very smart knowledge. Sam Stovall with S&P. Uh, it was just, Mike, the last couple of days, you have Dr. L. Arian with us, Joachim Fels. Uh, PIMCO and others has just been a real treat, hasn't it? Well, there's so many people on Wall Street who you know weren't around for previous bad times. It's great to have people who have been through this and seen yeah. it before. The European banks make a leg down. We don't want to get inflammatory, but we're trying to find the segments moving at any given moment. Deutsche Bank moving to new intraday weakness, not through the February 9 lows, but 13.17 euros is a lower price this morning. Unit credit breaking down as well. Futures in the U.S., negative 34. Dow futures, negative 279. All right, let's bring in Michael Barr now. I'll get the latest world and national headlines affecting trading. Mike, Tom, thank you very much. The last four armed occupiers at a wildlife refuge in Oregon say they would turn themselves in this morning. Law officers have surrounded them in a tent standoff. One of the occupiers told an FBI negotiator, kill me, get it over with. Authorities say a police officer who responded to a domestic violence call in Fargo, North Dakota, is near death after being shot several times. Police say 33-year-old officer Jason Moser went to the home last night after police received a 911 call that a man inside had fired a gun at his family. President Obama is in California today where he will raise money for fellow Democrats. 
The president is scheduled to attend four fundraisers today, two in Silicon Valley and two in Los Angeles. Global News, 24 hours a day, powered by our 2,400 journalists and more than 150 news bureaus from around the world. I'm Michael Barr. Mike, Tom? Michael Barr, thanks so much. Uh, futures actually do a little bit better, but other things challenge. We'd again with notes. European banks to new lows. We're Sam Stovall of S&P. Stay with us. Bloomberg Surveillance. The news update brought to you by your Mercedes-Benz Tri-State dealer. When it comes to winter elements, put your best four wheels forward with Mercedes-Benz 4Matic all-wheel drive. Visit your Mercedes-Benz Tri-State dealer for a test drive today. Global Business News, 24 hours a day at Bloomberg.com, the Radio Plus mobile app. And on your radio, this is a Bloomberg Business Flash. And I'm Karen Moscow, U.S. Stock Index Futures following oil prices lower. Let's go to the first word breaking news desk for today's morning call. And here's Bill Maloney. Good morning, Bill. Good morning, Karen. Equities are under pressure around the world this morning. Dow futures are lower by 281 points. SBs dropped 33 and NASDAQ futures declined by 75. Main European markets are also lower, led by 5% declines in Italy. Sweden's central bank lowered the repo rate to a minus 0.5%. The U.S. 10-year fell to 1.53%. That's the lowest since August of 2012. After the Bellis Night Cisco beat, Tesla Q1 deliveries outlook topped estimates. Whole Foods raised your adjusted EPS views. And Twitter Q1 revenue view trailed estimates. Regarding earnings this morning, advanced auto parts EPS beat. Monster Worldwide Q1 adjusted EPS view was below estimates. And Kellogg was mixed. Finally, some of Wall Street upgrades and downgrades. At Bank of America, Discover, Capital One, Visa, and MasterCard all cut to neutral. Solar City cut to equal weight at Barclays. Cisco raised to buy versus hold at Jefferies. Wendy's cut to neutral at J.P. Morgan. And finally, Twitter cut to sector weight at Pacific Crest. Live from the first of Breaking News Desk, I'm Bill Maloney. Karen? All right, thanks, Bill. And to hear live breaking news over your Bloomberg, type Squawk Go on your terminal. That's S-Q-U-A-W-K-Go. And that's a Bloomberg Business Flash. Tom and Mike. Karen, thanks so much. Bloomberg Surveillance this morning. As always, brought to you by Invesco. Don't settle for average in your portfolio to Invesco. The right approach means investing with high conviction. Find out more at Invesco.com slash high conviction. Michael, to bring Sam Stovall back, Unicredit, and we thank Luigi Zangala's booth in Italy for his comments the other day. Unicredit breaking down new intraday lows and Deutsche Bank trying to find a bid right now at 13.18 euros. Challenging, to say the least. I'm looking at the stock 600 and the financials uh, within that, down 6% mm. across Europe. You wonder where people uh, jump in. Sam Stovall with us. I mean, Sam, I know you've got a U.S. view and a U.S. feel. What is the appetite for international, for emerging market, or for U.S. multinationals that are out there exposed? Uh, I think the appetite is is nil at this point, uh, mainly because I think investors are just uh, very concerned as to why is it that the um, the foreign banks, European in particular, are so far behind the curve relative to U.S. banks. Um, I mean, in some ways, you can actually thank the U.S. government for uh, in, you know pushing through the tighter regulations and whatnot, because I, I think that our banks are actually in pretty good shape, um, not even relative to the world, just plain old in pretty good shape um, and are uh, becoming more and more attractive as uh, they get dragged down along with the foreign banks. 
financials here, um, one of the worst performing sectors during January, doesn't appear that they're going to uh, rebound for the month of February. No, I think it's it's sort of a, um, a fear in kind. Uh, investors are, are concerned that um, that the U.S. banks have similar exposure to uh, energy and that there could end up being um, bad loans, et cetera. But I was just talking to Eric Oja, our uh, senior banking analyst, and his belief is that, no, you have uh, most of the, the larger name banks out there that have only 1% to 2% exposure to the uh, energy sector, and the these are banks that are very well capitalized. They've also been talking on conference calls uh, that the, these loan losses are very sustainable um, at the or manageable at the $30 per barrel level. And even if gold, um, oil goes down to $20 a barrel uh, for less than a year, that these uh, loans are still very well managed because of the capitalization and liquidity requirements put in place. Well, it's interesting because I was talking, Tom, to an investor yesterday. Mm-hmm. And we, we we brought that up, that the banks say that their exposure to energy isn't that big. And this person's view was, oh, sure, they're not telling you the truth. It just kind no, of goes this, to the mindset of people these days. Yeah, this, right. Yeah, yeah I, I agree with that strongly. That Sam, to me, and this is important and goes to the heritage of the Stovall name, we can, we can blather about market dynamics and all that, but it goes back in equities to the ability to create a growth plan at the top of the income statement, the bottom of the income statement that falls out to cash flow. Is that under threat now? Is that belief under threat? I think that is the concern. Uh, we, in 2008, we didn't know what we didn't know. Uh, today, um, we don't have that kind of a situation because of the stress test. Uh, we know that we don't uh, have these failures approaching us. A lot of the off-balance sheet items are now put back onto the balance sheets. But you're bringing up a good point. The concern that investors have is that even with the good U.S. banks, the growth potential just really isn't there because of the liquidity requirements. You have dividends that are not going to be cut, in our opinion, but they're also not going to be growing. Uh, And so that makes them less attractive. They're not going to go out of business, but they're just going to be less attractive relative to other investments. Sam, thank you so much. Sam Stovall, an incredibly busy day for him. We treasure having him on uh, as, as well. Mr. Stovall with Standard Imports. Mike, I, I, this is, I got to be careful here, Mike. This is the price to book, not tangible book. It's an estimation. This is off the Bloomberg, but we need to scope and scale this right now. Credit Suisse of Zurich, their price to book is 52%. Deutsche Bank, 29%. Barclays, with all the challenges they have, just below Credit Suisse, 45%. There's a little bit of apples and oranges here. UBS, 93%. So let's go sequential. UBS, best, 93. Then Credit Suisse, 52. Then the challenges of Barclays, 45. And to give you a sense of the outlier, that is Deutsche Bank, 29%. That off the bloomer. It's remarkable. Just, it, just stunning. Yeah. You know, uh, right now, six percent decline for financials in Europe, uh, uh, in the stock yeah. six hundred sectors. Uh, that is double the drop in any other sector. The tape so is far, fractionally yeah. better 
in the U.S. than it was 20 minutes ago. We've gone from negative 40 on futures to negative 32 down futures, negative 267. Yields made a dash for 1.50. We didn't get there. Nice recovery, higher yield, lower note prices. In the last 20 minutes, 1.59%, only eight basis points lower yield. It was 10 or even 11 at one point. West Texas, $26.52 a barrel. Economic data, well, you know, a little bit a little bit back and forth, but uh, we'll do that next. Michael McKee and Tom Keene, stay with us. Bloomberg Surveillance. Coming up, the with all due respect highlight brought to you by Land Rover. If it's in your nature to cast off the everyday and seek adventure, the Discovery Sport was built to help your search. Visit LandRoverTriState.com for special offers during the only adventure sales event, Land Rover, above and beyond. Broadcasting live to New York, Bloomberg 1130, to Washington, D.C., Bloomberg 991, to Boston, Bloomberg 1200, to San Francisco, Bloomberg 960, to the country, Sirius XM Channel 119, and around the globe, the Bloomberg Radio Plus app and Bloomberg.com. This is Bloomberg Surveillance. 830 on Wall Street. I'm Michael McKee along with Tom Keene. Economic Indicators brought to you by Commonwealth Financial Network. When it's time to change the conversation, talk with a broker-dealer RIA that's ready to listen. Call 866-462-3638 or visit Commonwealth.com to learn more. Initial jobless claims are out, and Vinny Del Judice has the numbers from the first word desk. Vinny, we should note that economists basically nailed this one. Yes, Michael. No, they didn't. They're way off. <laughs> That's because they changed the previous week. But anyway, oh, go ahead. Okay, okay, okay. Gotcha, gotcha. Down 16,000 to 269,000 going into the report, 280,000. And yes, as you say, there were those changes. Nonetheless, this level, 269,000, consistent with a strong labor market. Economists had been warning the uh, prior weeks we could have been seeing some uh, weakening in the labor market. Not the case. Claims below 300,000 for almost a year now. Again, Jobless claims last week after some tinkering with the data down by 16,000 to 269,000. At the Bloomberg First Word Desk, I'm Vinny Del Chudice. Let's go back to New York. Hey, Vinny, thanks so much. Very quickly on international front before we get to the U.S., Carl Weinberg has just written a blistering note. Mike, this is the first note I've seen which simply says, where are the governments? Quote, where are the governments? Why is no government leader or finance minister anywhere in the G7 calling a confab to do something proactive to address a global economic and financial market collapse? I would suggest, Mr. McKee, this will be a theme for the coming days. Well, uh, you know, if I'm – well, the fiscal authorities have been missing in action for years – uh, we'll stipulate that. Sure. But if I'm a central banker, I'm wondering, um, wait a minute, you know, for months you've been yelling at us to get the heck out of the economies. And now you're wondering why we're not deeper in it. So I, I'm not sure if they're, you know, uh, Michael Faroli put it this way about Janet Yellen yesterday. Darned if you cut, darned if you don't. So um, mm-hmm. he used different language. but So it's hard to tell uh, where they should be. But we we got to talk to Dr. Weinberg. Lindsay Piegza is the chief economist at Stiefel, uh, and she's with us now to talk about the economic data. And, uh, Lindsay, the numbers just out from the Labor Department suggest that we're not seeing any kind of growing caution on the part of America's uh, corporations about um, a, a downturn that would require them to lay people off. 
Well, jobless claims have been improving for quite some time. We've seen a lot of volatility, of course, month to month. But when we look at that four-month average, we've seen this downward trend in jobless claims for more than a year now. So jobless claims certainly represent half of the equation, meaning if you're gainfully employed, you're less concerned about being laid off. But that doesn't necessarily translate into the other half of the equation, which is very robust and strong job creation. We have seen over 60 consecutive months of positive non-farm payroll reports, but we haven't seen the type of outstanding numbers up near consistent 300,000 that we'd really expect for the type of recovery that the Fed has been talking about for years now. Well, except that we have seen consistently 200,000 for a long period of time, which is a different pattern than we've seen before. Usually you get those 300,000, 400,000s, but you'd also get a bunch of 100,000s. That's a good point, and we have been right now at the three-month average around 231,000, but remember, that's coming down from a near five-year high to a three-month low. So it's very clear that the labor market is losing momentum at this point, and that comes against the backdrop of other peripheral data that suggests the labor market is not at full employment. We talk about the participation rate or still a heavy reliance on part-time and temporary labor. Lindsay, where are we with Chair Yellen here? I mean, she did the, what do we have? We had an embargoed thing yesterday, Mike, at 8.30, and then she waxed philosophical, and then there were questions, Lou Alexander saying she couldn't answer the damn question. She got cut off. Lindsay, does she need, in the, and I've never heard the phrase before, does she need to rip up the script today and really calm, you know, really make an effort to be central banker of the world? It was exceptional. She was hedging in true Fed-speak form. She really seemed to be talking out of both sides of her mouth, uh, seemingly very optimistic about the mm. uh, current pace of, of economic activity and certainly the optimist, excuse me, she's certainly optimistic about a longer-term prospect for the U.S. economy. In fact, she went on to say as much as final demand in the U.S. economy was improving despite a sub-1% GDP pace at the end of last year. Uh, so she really left the door open for the possibility of an additional rate hike in March, and yet at the same time highlighting concerns about ongoing volatility in the equity markets, plunging oil prices, and tighter labor, excuse me, tighter financial market conditions. She also left the possibility that the Fed could back away from a second rate increase in March. So really muddying the waters for investors making it a lot more difficult to understand exactly yeah. where the Fed's head is um, at. Mike, maybe we'll get clarity today. Let me know if you hear clarity. <laughs> I, I wouldn't hold my breath for that. <laughs> Somebody call Richard Clarity. Uh, oh, very <laughs> there good. There you go. There's, oh, there's my pun of the day. Michael yes. Barr, we have just been put <laughs> in our radio place. Uh, I, I just, heard that. He just killed us. Yeah, Lindsay, yeah. The, uh, the Atlanta Fed's GDP now tracking in the first quarter, 2.5%. So, um, you know, the, the data seem to suggest that, you know, things are not that bad, uh, that we're going to see a bit of a recovery here. Well, at least for now. Remember, the Atlanta GDP uh, forecast model is consistently revised with each data point that comes out. So there's still a lot of information mm. left between now and the first uh, fair, release fair, of fair. GDP. Lindsay, thank you so much. Lindsay Piazga, uh, with, with Stiefel Nicholas, uh, their chief economist. Mike, I, I, I got a massive problem. PIMCO just put out on Twitter saying that, thank you, PIMCO, saying Libby Cantrell will, 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 will be with us. And it's a, lo- it's a lovely photo of the love, lovely Libby Cantrell. She's wearing a Peyton Manning jersey in a formal PIMCO meeting. I can see Scott Mather in the background. You know, everybody's looking very PIMCO, except Libby's in a Denver Broncos jersey. That's why I, I we mean, love her. 
I mean, and uh, and her kids uh, wearing Denver Bronco jerseys uh, as well. I, 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 I mean, don't even want to ask does about Does she have captions. great taste in football teams or what? I guess she does. Libby Cantor will be with us later. Coming up, a must-listen on European banking. U.S. futures, negative 31. Dow futures, negative 260. Time to check in with Michael Barr and get the latest world and national headlines. Mike, Tom, thank you very much. President Obama is in California for a week-long visit to the state. The president's first stops are at Democratic fundraisers. The president has four stops today, two in Silicon Valley and two others in Los Angeles. Meanwhile, Republican presidential candidates are in South Carolina ahead of next week's primary. Donald Trump called Bernie Sanders a wacky socialist. He wants to give the country away. Your taxes are going to be like 95%, folks. Sanders has raised $7.1 million after his win in New Hampshire. Tensions between North and South Korea are escalating. North Korea says it is kicking South Koreans out of the country and is freezing all South Korean assets at a jointly run factory park in the North. Yesterday, Seoul suspended operations at the factory park. Tensions have increased after the North on Sunday launched a long-range rocket. Low snowfall in Alaska is playing havoc with the world's most famous sled dog race. The Iditarod begins today with a ceremonial jaunt through the streets and trails of Anchorage. And then tomorrow, the competitive portion of the nearly 1,000-mile race begins in Willow, about 75 miles north of Anchorage. Global News, 24 hours a day, powered by our 2,400 journalists and more than 150 news bureaus from around the world. I'm Michael Barr. Mike, Tom. Thank you, Michael. Time now for the Bloomberg NBC Sports Update with John Stashauer. John, the uh, Rangers are kind of on a roll. They are indeed, uh, Mike, and they're going to have a hard time catching Washington atop their division, 15 points behind. But the goal is to at least finish second. Islanders, Devils, Penguins all chasing them. So big win for the Blue Shirts last night in Pittsburgh, 3-0 as Henry Lundquist stopped all 34 shots. Coach Elaine Vigneault happy to win while playing without Rick Nash and Ryan McDonough. I mean, any time you miss, you know, whether it be on the fence or, or up front, you miss some of your top people. It's an opportunity for some other guys to step up. And I think, you know, we had we have some other guys that have stepped up. They'll go for a fifth straight win tomorrow night at the Garden against Los Angeles. Kings visit the Islanders tonight. Last night in Brooklyn, Memphis sent the Nets to their 40th loss of the season, 109-90. The NBA about to hit the All-Star break last night. Cleveland beat the Lakers. Kobe Bryant faced LeBron James for the next-to-last time ever. Kobe's last game, you know, here in Cleveland. And, uh, you know, remember when he was a rookie and I was watching from home, you know, him here in the slam dunk competition and going between the legs and, and dunking at home and taking home, uh, you know, champion of that dunk contest. So, you know, our fans, uh, I mean, they love great, you know, great athletes, great people, and they, you know, they pay, you know, respects to one of the greatest ever. They never met in the postseason, obviously always in different conferences, but one or the other has played in each of the last nine NBA Finals, but never the same one. They're starting the ATT at Pebble Beach today, Jordan Speed teeing off just before noon Eastern is playing with Phil Mickelson. This is NBC Sports Radio. Thanks so much. Appreciate it. Douglas Cass, always brave. He says enough on the yield with a 10-year 1.60%. At 1.56, he shorts the TLT. That's looking for a higher yield, lower note price. I would note, I don't have an opinion on this trade. I would just say that uh, the yield move recently is out to 2.3 standard deviations. That is, without question, extended. We have an extended Bloomberg surveillance coming up. This is must-listen if you're part of Global Wall Street. Christopher Wheeler on the European 
Thanks. Stay with us. Bloomberg Surveillance. And gold prices are up $40 this morning. We'll talk with HSBC's James Steele. Is this just a safe haven short-term trade, or is gold really turning around? Global Business News, 24 hours a day at Bloomberg.com, the Radio Plus mobile app. And on your radio, this is a Bloomberg Business Flash. And I'm Karen Moscow. This update's brought to you by UNC Keenan Flagler's full-time MBA program. UNC Keenan Flagler, shaping leaders, driving results. Learn more at mba.unc.edu. Filings for unemployment benefits in the U.S. declined to a seven-week low as hiring managers demonstrated confidence in the outlook after temporary adjustments around the holidays. Jobless claims dropped by 16,000 to 269,000 in the week that ended February 6th. U.S. stock index futures, meanwhile, following oil prices lower, Extending an earlier slump as investors shunned risk worldwide to spark a global sell-off in equities. We check the markets every 15 minutes throughout the trading day on Bloomberg. S&P E-mini futures are down 30 points. Dow E-mini futures down 257. NASDAQ E-mini futures are down 62. The DAX in Germany down 2.1%. CAC in Paris down 3.3%. And the FT100 down 1.9%. Ten-year Treasury up 21.30 seconds. The yield 1.59%. Yield on the two-year 0.6%. 2%. NYMEX crude oil down 2.8% or 77 cents to $26.68 a barrel. COMEX gold is up 3.2% or $38.40 to $12.33 an ounce. The euro, $1.1324. The yen, one twelve point four nine. And that's a Bloomberg Business Flash. Tom and Mike. Yeah, Karen, nice day to check in. What it shows, folks, clearly across all asset classes, a little bit of a bid here, a little better tape in the last 20 minutes. It is 848 on Wall Street. The following is from Bloomberg View. Opinions and commentary from Bloomberg columnists. I'm Jonathan Bernstein, a columnist for Bloomberg View. Who were the big losers in New Hampshire? Beyond the obvious answers of Hillary Clinton, Chris Christie, Marco Rubio, and Carly Fiorina, how about these? New Hampshire. Democrats have already grumbled about New Hampshire's first-in-the-nation primary because the Granite State electorate is so different from the National Party. Now, I expect conservatives to begin organizing against New Hampshire after another cycle in which mainstream conservative candidates were walloped. Momentum. The final results in New Hampshire closely matched the January polls in that state, regardless of what the candidates did in Iowa. Ted Cruz, Marco Rubio, and Hillary Clinton all did well in Iowa, but it did nothing for them a week later. And party actors. High-profile Democrats who supported Clinton will continue to be attacked as part of an establishment corrupted by money. High-profile Republicans who oppose Trump will get that too and worse. The parties will still probably wind up where they were going. But for individual party elites, it won't be fun getting there. I'm Jonathan Bernstein. For more view, please go to BloombergView.com or view go on the Bloomberg Terminal. This has been Bloomberg View. And Bloomberg View commentary can be heard hourly weekdays on Bloomberg Radio. He has helped us so much with perspective from Europe with Atlantic Equities, Christopher uh, Wheeler. Christopher, help me out with how a bank management reacts when their tangible book becomes less than tangible. We just went through a compare and contrast of UBS better than Credit Suisse, better than Barclays, and way down lower is Deutsche Bank. How does a bank manage a lousy book value? 
Well, uh, Tom, um, I guess the answer to that is that they, they cross their fingers that they can actually get some improvement. Uh, and I think that's where we are at the moment. I mean, bottom line is it means obviously issuing any kind of equity um, is very, very expensive, very dilutive to existing shareholders. And, you know, it's something that banks obviously want to avoid. And they have to think about how they obviously rebuild their earnings so that they can rebuild their returns. And then investors start to um, buy up the stock so that they move above that book value and obviously makes the management startup feel more comfortable and in a position where they can be much more flexible about how they run their capital management programs. Ben Bernanke basically put a gun to the head of the U.S. banks and made them do that. Um, there's no, I guess, comparable person who, who can do that to the European banks? Well, look, I think if we, if we go back, I mean, most of the banks were, were forced to increase capital. But, of course, it, it wasn't the big bang effect that uh, that you had in the United States. And, obviously, I, I always find it funny that you copied what the U.K. did. We, we did it by accident. But if you remember, TARP was a much more complex process and became a very simple process of saying, let's put capital into these banks, get them working again, and get their returns moving upwards in a tougher regulatory environment. And... That's what, you know, the UK did that to rescue the Royal Bank of Scotland and Lloyds. But unfortunately for the rest of the sector, it's been this very slow adaptation to the new paradigm that exists post-crisis in financial services. Where are we now? If we have Deutsche Bank down to recent lows, it bounces up. As you know, Christopher Wheeler, it's been an ugly morning. And I guess there's a little bit of a bid now. It's based on news flow. What is the immediacy or urgency for Mr. Kryan with institutions like the Bundesbank, like the ECB, or for that matter, Brussels? Look, this becomes a daily process for somebody like John, okay. who's in the situation he's in. He has to talk to these people every single day. If not himself personally, his CFO, his CRO, these guys have to be there constantly reassuring them what's changed in the last 24 hours in terms of our liquidity position, our capital position, you know, concerns around if you want litigation. They've got to just keep talking. It's like, you know, it's, it's, it's when an M&A bank is doing a deal and things get a bit tricky. Talk to your client as much as you can to make sure they feel they at least know what's going on, even if it's bad news you're delivering. And I think that's what's going on at the moment. Well, uh, we're getting through earnings. Uh, yeah. Is this going to be the low point um, for these banks, or is there something out there that we don't know about that investors should be selling on? Look, I, I had long conversations with clients this morning about U.S. banks, and they're sitting there scratching their heads about why some of the banks are trading at such low levels. And we we keep talking about all the possibilities out there of more credit losses, energy losses, what happens with negative interest rates, are we going into recession? There's nothing concrete there at the moment. The earnings have kind of dealt with the concrete stuff, and in many cases, the restructuring that some of these banks are going through. I think now we're going to, we do go into a quieter period, but of course the macro will come to play. We've seen this morning, as you know, the Swedish the Swedish Central Bank has pushed yeah. negative interest rates further down. That's obviously another reason why the markets are being spooked. That kind of thing is what's going to hurt the banks now rather than hardcore earnings numbers over the next two months. Are we in the middle of a, feed, a really negative feedback loop from negative interest rates? Is that something that the banks uh, can't deal with? I, I think that's the case, and, and I, I was saying to a client this morning, I don't want to give an advert for, for J.P. Morgan, but they have their investor day coming up on the 23rd of, of February, and I'm going to be fascinated. Jamie always likes to be a leader in the industry, and he'll have Marianne Lake, his CFO, standing up, and she will certainly talk about the implications of negative interest rates, even though people don't necessarily think they're alive in the U.S., but I think nobody really understands quite what they could mean to okay. bank earnings, apart from they're surely negative. 
What's have you worked out? And this is what Christopher Wheeler does best, folks. The cash call that Deutsche Bank faces to review. I believe they had a seven billion dollar write down, you know, recently in the last year or so. You've got in your head further litigation, you know, energy, the usual stuff of banking. Is it wrong to say they're looking at a fifteen billion dollar cash call of some form to right size a national institution? Look, I, I, they have 11% common equity tier one ratio, which is a very similar level that you have. JP Morgan, I think, has 11.5. Now, the, the problem is, Tom, you touched on it very well there, that they've tried to deal with all the restructuring issues, but the problem they're having is trying to get earnings going again, particularly in the investment bank, and is there another big hit for litigation? Because if it is, it could be another multi-billion capital raising, but I, I think I've said to you before, I think John Cryan is a long way from that at the moment. I think there's a lot more noise yeah, around the stock. I'll go with you on that. I think everything you just said is brilliant, except there's a point where the equity share price starts forcing the conversation. Where are we on that, whether it's Unicredit or Deutsche Bank or eight banks, Mike McKee and I don't know. Look, I, again, I don't think at the moment, uh, well, you know, looking out there, that they're, they're feeling their capital is threatened. But what we could have, and there's a lot of talk about the Fed doing this as well, whether or not the, the, the regulators say it's just not enough. You've all moved up to much higher levels of capital. I think this is your point, Tom. You have to go higher. You have to go higher to give even more confidence to a market yeah. that's really, very, really, very concerned. And is it going to be billions? Of course it is for Deutsche Bank, because if they do do this, they're going to have to do it in a very big, big way. And hopefully, and they, we've said this before about Deutsche say this is the last time we'll do this for a very long time. We can get on with running our business then. But I think at the moment um, there's just so much uncertainty about how much they actually need. Capital concerns, earnings concerns, negative interest rate concerns. How much of this is going to feed into the macro economy by causing banks to pull back on lending? Well, that's the most fascinating point, isn't it? I mean, if the capital is reasonably robust, which in theory on paper it is, and we're just saying whether the regulator wants to push that, push that up, again, it, you can parallel it with the U.S. banks who look very comfortable on capital. They want to lend money to good credits. But the thing is, banks start to get very uncomfortable. And remember, I just touched on Jamie Dimon. It's not Jamie Dimon who's lending the money. It's his loan officer, you know, sitting in the Midwest or sitting on the West Coast who's got to make the decision. And mm -hmm. these guys are naturally going to become more cautious because their job is not to lose the bank money is to lend it well and you just become yeah. far more far more cautious on whether you give that money to a, a good good concern in case it turns bad i know christopher wheeler you were in a six nations rugby meeting and we're sorry we dragged you out of it christopher wheeler <laughs> with atlantic <laughs> equities we appreciate it we need to be made clear folks within the trauma of the tape that the tape is better i want to make that clear in the last hour there is a modest correlated bid. Mike McKee mentioned gold up $40. It came down up $38, now up 41 West Texas, a little better, 26.71, down 72 cents. It was down a dollar something uh, earlier. The 10-year yield is better. A 155 has become a 159. So within the caution and the reticence, the gloom uh, that's out there, it is a better tape, Michael McKee. In the last so you can have a lot of fun making uh, charts today because there's a lot of correlations. You could be looking yeah. at gold. Uh, dollars down, gold is up. Uh, yeah. Interesting move there. Oil prices correlating with the dollar as well. Uh, well, it's sport. We thank all of you uh, listening to us worldwide across this country. Another hour of Bloomberg Surveillance. Good morning.